Podcast. My name is Marco Henry Negrete, and today I am joined by MLS player for the Houston Dynamo and the Puerto Rican national team, Zarek Valentin. Zarek, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. We're really excited. Zarek is also a member of Soul Savvy, so this is a fun one for us to, to talk to somebody who's super embedded into the sneaker community. Before we start on that pile of boots that you have next to you and maybe some of the <laughs> other heat that you have around you, I, I, everyone has a, a sneaker origin story, especially uh, athletes like yourself, oftentimes tied to the sport they play. But what, what was that first time that you can remember where sneakers or footwear in general, whether it was it was soccer boots or sneakers, really made a, a impact on you and, and you started seeing them as more than just a tool for athletic performance? Yeah, definitely. Soccer cleats, I could go back for as long as I, I you know, I've been playing you watch some of the Diogo Benito commercials back in the day when they had Ronaldo and these guys, you know, wearing the boots and you wanted to be like them, but I, I was never uh, an attacker. So they got to wear all the fun shoes. But regardless, when it comes to sneakers, I always wanted to be like my brother and he kept it pretty simple and wore Converse. He wore Chucks, high tops, had like 20 pairs also, you know what I mean? Just the rainbow. And I tried to emulate that. So I went to college and I used to use my scholarship check to buy $50 Converse at Journeys, right? So I had a little bit of a uh, a collection. And then upon signing in the league, I had to sign with Adidas. That was just the rule about everything. And um, that, you know, I always was into sneakers, always had a bunch. I still collected dunks when I was an Adidas athlete. Don't At this point, I'm a Nike guy, so it's all good. But my first memory, and I actually have it here, 72 and 10, 11. My sister wanted them actually. And I was like, why not? Like I have a little bit of allotment. I got myself a pair. And upon receiving them, I just, this is what like, got, you know, put the snowball down and got everything rolling. Um, I had, I, I picked up the shoe and obviously it's a leather upper, right. And usually they're mesh and stuff like that. And for me, it just kickstarted this, like, just, I don't need like to use the word obsession, but just this like intrigue about like the craftsmanship more than just like wearing it, but just the, it, it was a, it's a beautiful shoe. It's an absolutely beautiful shoe. And for me, it immediately kicked that just, you know, it just started, it's, it's all downhill from there. And that era of Jordan 11s uh, in particular had, it wasn't just the shoe, it was the packaging. It was so hard to get in and out of that package. Oh yeah. It just felt special. It didn't feel like you just got a pair of sneakers. It felt like a piece of art, right? No, for sure. And then, like I said, for me, you know, I'd had other pairs of Jordans and stuff, but this this was the specific shoe. And I'll never forget opening it in my house in Pennsylvania and just being like, holy shnikes, like this is not just something I'm going to wear. I, I, I look at the craftsmanship and you look at the obviously the yellowing is, is, is beautiful at this point. But um, just just kind of the way the shoe was built and put together really kind of caught my eye. And it was more than just like, you know, a canvas chuck, right? This is like, this is a performance shoe, but also you can wear it as a lifestyle shoe. And there's not many, well, nowadays it's a lot of the shoes are very performance-based, but that really bridged that gap. And obviously the 11 was, um, had so much history already, but just to see this exact shoe and Jordan wore it, and it gives you that, gives you that special feeling. Yeah, yeah. And shifting gears to, to the, the boots you have next to you, educate me a little bit. When I grew up playing basketball and there's like those really, iconic basketball shoes that you see mm. people play and you want to play. What were those boots for you as you were coming up yeah. uh, in your career when you were a kid? Uh, soccer boots. I know Nike dominates the pitch mm. um, with a lot of their innovation. Is there, are there a few models that maybe someone who didn't grow up playing soccer the same way you did, um, where those were just like the icon status boots? 
Of course. And I think everyone looks at the Copa, the Adidas shoe that's black upper, three stripes, pretty flat bottom. The Copa is kind of the the be all end all. People still wear it. It's still comfortable. The leather is still much better. So the Copa is is not produced because obviously they want Adidas wants the players to wear the new stuff. So for that, that was pretty much it. There was the Puma King, which is another one that was big back in the day. These are just really like leather shoes with like studs right nowadays the technology is crazy but back in the day they used to be really heavy and god forbid if it rained you probably you know imagine playing soccer in something like this yeah. it'd, it'd be extremely hard so for nike it was one of the, the biggest iconic silhouette was the vapor and that actually i have a newer version but it's actually similar to this in a bunch of different colorways and the Ronaldo, the fat one, they say, but he was also the, probably one of the better ones who really made the, the boots famous. He wore them in the 2002 world cup and um, pretty much put that, that silhouette on the map and it's still being produced to this day. Obviously technology is crazy different, but people can, that, that boot still holds its, its weight in terms of the significance for the sport, the style, right? Cause it's soccer. It's soccer is a sport that, really there's individuality and there's the style on and off the pitch. And that shoe, it was silver. I don't have the exact model, but it was this, you know, this incredible like silver. And then basically, you know, when he banged in goals in the world cup, it really stood out. And then, I mean, it has its place forever in history. Yeah. That's interesting. Going back to the point about the Adidas and the Puma in basketball, it's the same way, right? We have all this innovation, but if you like some of the true hoopers still want to play in Jordans, they want to play in those retro shoes because it's just that feeling of wearing them, even though they're, they might kill your feet. So I didn't know that soccer kind of had that same obsession with the retro footwear and Adidas almost had to stop producing it. Hey, you got to do stuff now. But I think the same goes for basketball. When I was at Jordan brand, I remember we had to convince athletes hey you can't play in jordan 10s anymore we have the 33 or the 34 like you stop playing the shoe even though you love it and it's it's interesting how that translates to different sports back to the the nike thing um what are some of the uh boots that that are your kind of go-tos right now i know that you switch it up a lot um is is it is it an every game thing or do you kind of have like that standard pair that you wear and then you you switch it up for special occasions yeah, the funny thing is, and people don't understand this about soccer, but an in-depth, an in-depth piece about it is you see NBA players wearing Kobe's, wearing Jordans, right? Wearing uh, Dame's shoe. They're wearing Harden's shoe and KD's. Soccer, that's a faux pas. Ronaldo has his own colorway of the vapor, but you're viewed as kind of like a poser if you wear Ronaldo's cleat. Nobody wears Messi's cleat. Only Messi wears it because no one touches it. So it's interesting how in NBA, it's so normal. You know what I mean? You see guys wearing KDs and, you know, Jordan always talked about the mental edge when he saw someone wearing his shoes, he's like, well, I'm going to dominate this person. But in soccer, that's not the case. So that's why you see the majority of people wearing the same colorway. So for example, this is the boot that um, I'm still training in right now. Um, I think a new colorway is going to be coming out in kind of this turquoise color. But um, for me, I was lucky enough to be a Nike athlete in Portland. And I'm sure you know all the, the benefits to that, right? So I actually got into uh, into the kitchen, which is kind of the innovation lab where they create a lot of new things. And I got my foot 3D scanned. And basically that allowed me to then figure out which boot fits with my sh- which with like the shape of my foot best, right? And Nike has three different models. And as much as this is definitely not a defender's boot, I've found out that this is the shoe that fits my, sh- my foot the best. And I love to switch it up and it's fun to have new colorways and stuff like that. But ultimately comfort wins, right? Because if you're going to run around in the Houston heat for 90 minutes, you want to be comfortable. So for me, the, the mercurial, which is stems from the vapor I spoke about 
previously this is the 10th 10th generation or something like that ninth generation but this is the one that i'm currently wearing a lot great you mentioned portland that's when you and i first connected walk me through that you, you grow up a sneakerhead you, you're playing pro soccer and then you end up of all cities in portland oregon kind of the the hometown of nike of adidas and then a, a few other footwear brands have, mm-hmm. have centers there now like under armor um what was that like man you mentioned being able to go to the kitchen but like how cool is it to be a nike athlete athlete in a city like portland i mean you can't beat it i feel extremely blessed that i had the opportunity to just show up on campus and and make connections and meet people and um you know i, I we speak about going to the kitchen pretty casually, but I know that for the average Nike employee, it's very locked down, right? You know what I mean? You have to sign an NDA when you go in there and you see all the different things. And it's really cool to kind of go and meet people that work there. And um, like I said, I feel really lucky that I had that opportunity and made some good friends and have continued my relationship with the brand. And it's one of these things where I, I, I love the the continuing evolution of pushing the boundary and whether that's with footwear, whether that's with cleats, you know, you know, being able to product test out there was really cool that you don't have access to that kind of stuff when you're in Houston or when you're in Los Angeles. Um, so for me, it was really incredible to see, but also I found it really interesting the way the brands would, you know, fight over players for the Portland Timbers. And this is a little insight. It's, it's constantly a battle between Adidas and Nike to have as many guys on the field for the Portland Timbers at one time. So normally it's, you know, Nike's very selective about the contracts they give out because they want to have national team players and different, right? Adidas, everybody gets Adidas boots, whether they're sponsored or not. But in Portland, they were very picky about trying to get it, get as many starters as possible. And there's 11 players on the field. So obviously one brand is going to have the one up, right? Yeah. So that's why at times you, you'd want, you'd see, and you'd look down and, you know, Nike's having a better day. Maybe a few subs come in um, and it's different. And, um, it's fun to see that, but it's, you know, that friendly competition constantly is pushing things further and further. Is that just a pride thing because it's right in the backyard or is that also tied to, Hey, we have access to world-class athletes 10 minutes away. Let's get as many as we can so we can wear tests, we can get feedback or is it a little bit of both? Definitely both. Um, it's definitely, uh, a little bit of, um, a pride thing. And you, you know, you want to one up them, right. You walk past them and it's a friendly competition. Obviously there's no negative animosity, but you know, if you have eight starters that are in Nike boots, the guys are going to give a little salute and say, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Oh, good to see you. All right. Oh, it's a new boot. Great. And it's just, it's one of those things, but also at the same time though, to be able to have access again, you know, when we, we would get brought in monthly to just have a chat about boots, what we thought about sock height, right? So you would think sock height, you would look at the way the stud stud configuration, whatever it might be. And then you're constantly getting boots. So if you look actually at the difference between these ones, these ones, the sock height is much higher on the yellow one. And you can see how it's like definitely bigger. Right. Um, so, you know, to have st- stuff like that is pretty cool. And again, I feel very lucky that I'm, you know, been with Nike and they've taken incredible care of me. And I, like I said, I feel very lucky that I was even able to experience that in Portland. Great, man. And then the other part of Portland living there is, the really kind of strong and passionate sneaker community that exists even outside of the HQs. The first time I think I ever met you in person was at Deadstock Coffee. And yeah. how cool was that to be able to not only play for the hometown team, be a Nike athlete, but also kind of interact with the local sneaker community? What were some of your favorite spots out there? It's definitely super cool and something really unique. I'm finding that Houston has a lot of that similar culture, but Portland's in a, in a world of its own. And I used to go to Deadstock twice a week. We used to always miss each other in passing and stuff like that. But just to kind of go in there, it also reminded me how 
how little I actually knew about the history of sneakers, but also it was really cool because the more people you meet, you find out that people just like shoes and people are, get hyped about shoes that aren't like your typical, you know, Travis Scott fragment cause collaboration, right? You see people wearing like whatever duck camo air force ones that are, you know, sitting on the Nike outlets at the employee store. And then people are like this, like I'm, this is so dope and this is really cool. And you get to have a bunch of conversations and one of the places, like I said, we spoke about Deadstock is people will call you out if they feel you're being phony about liking a shoe, right? So if you, you know what I mean? If you, if you like a shoe just because other people might like it, then you might be kind of like, oh, so like, you know, what's the real reason? Oh, well, you know, it's limited or something like that. They say, well, that's like not a good enough reason. Like, do you like the colorway? Do you like the silhouette? You know, what's the point? And people would kind of question you in terms of like your, your likes and your dislikes. And I enjoyed that because it felt like a little bit of a community as opposed to, again, just walking in somewhere and trying to find the most expensive shoe and wear it just because no one else has it. So for me, Deadstock was great. Obviously, shout out to Index, the sneaker the sneaker store there. A lot of good people there would, would um, wrap a lot of my shoes when I wanted to keep them on ice so that I could keep the, the, the blue bottoms go. Um, but yeah, definitely Portland's very unique. And I know that um, we both enjoyed our time there. Yeah, you mentioned the employee store. And it was really interesting when I when I first started working at, at Nike headquarters was that you would think pro athletes like they're they're too big or, or too they have too much access to get excited over things like the, the employee store, but that's not true. Uh, if you're a sneakerhead, you're a sneakerhead, and and the, the hunt and the thrill of finding something on the shelves is always super exciting. Talk about that. Did you ever find anything crazy at the at the employee store? more for my wife, but, um, because she could do like the big kid sizes for shoes. Right. And I can't necessarily do that, but I remember my favorite ones, my favorite times at the ES was always when they had like the, the, the boxes with no tops on them in the back corner. Right. And you could go and that's where you're, you're searching, you're fine. And you're looking to see what you can get. Um, of course people line up for, for, you know, good releases and stuff, which I actually never did, but I always enjoyed the ones where you're searching through the boxes, trying to find, you know, a random pair of dunks or a pair of Air Max ones or whatever it might be. Um, and also it was nice because they're constantly stocked full of white on white Air Force ones, which apparently nowadays people are, re- which is just wild, right? You can't yeah. even get them. You can get them for $45 there, right? And they're constantly there. But if you go anywhere else, they're, they sell out like this. And then people are trying to make a quick buck, which is just wild. Yeah. And then shifting gears, you end up in Houston which I, I was surprised to learn this a few years ago is, is one of the top markets in the entire country for Jordan brand. One of their biggest customer bases, right? Mm-hmm. You don't really hear about Houston in the same light as like a New York or an LA or even a Chicago or even a Portland, right? Mm-hmm. But they really are, you know, in the top three or four when it comes to passionate yep. Jordan brand consumers. And I'm sure that extends to other brands as well. How, how did you notice that right away? And, and how's that been a, kind of adjusting to that new community, that new culture there? Oh, there's such a kicks culture here. It's unbelievable. I, I picked my son up from daycare and the, and the, the Miss Janae taking care of me looks down at my black cement threes and goes, I like your shoes. And you know what I mean? Like this is just, it's just completely like embedded in the culture. And she wears Air Max two seventies. Uh, she wears nineties a lot. Like she, she rocks her shoes too. And it's just funny. Cause again, she's at daycare with my son and, you know, she's looking down, commenting on my shoes. Obviously my teammates have gotten sucked into the uh, the vortex. Um, I will be a big, uh, I think that was my fault, but there's definitely that culture down here. And, um, you know, you have to probably extend, I know it's been here for a little bit. I know Bumby has been big into that. There's been sneaker sneaker summit, the, the store down here, which has really been cultivating that, but you know, call it what it is. I'm sure there's a Travis Scott boom, which has really been massive here in Houston. Um, 
I've actually, you see a lot of those shoes everywhere. That's a very like kind of a status symbol within the city, mm. a status symbol within the city is to have one of the Travis Scott collaborations because of just the hometown feel. Right. So that's definitely something you have that you have the Houston Astros fitted on, and that's pretty much the go-to for a lot of people, but um, definitely I didn't expect it as much, but grocery stores, coffee shops, again, my, the, you know, at my daycare, you know, yeah. there's things there, there's all signs of it, which is really cool. And it's something that I didn't expect, but something that I'm trying to embrace and, and enjoy. But the sad part is Nike does not have a store here. Oh, there wow. is no, there's no Nike town store. Hopefully in the near future, they can put one in, but I'm really surprised that with all the stuff going on in the past X amount of years with Travis and stuff, there's no like, pop, there's no Nike store yep. in the Galleria mall, which is one of the biggest malls in the country, anything like that. But hopefully, hopefully one of these days we can get one of those. Yeah. You mentioned that you have kind of put your, some of your teammates onto, to upping their sneaker game. I've noticed that in not just the MLS, but you know, to sports in general, um, people are starting to pay a lot more attention to sneakers. It's, it's really exciting time, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. almost into sneakers. It's a kind of mandatory if you're, if yep. you're playing in this space. How have you seen the MLS and, and, and football as a whole really start to embrace sneaker culture? Yeah. I know sneakers have always been an important part of it, but have you noticed a shift in the last few years as it's become more mainstream? Oh, definitely. Soccer has always been typically a luxury brand sport. I'd say that the, the style you know, probably started with the Brazilians back in the day. It's kind of their flair for the way they used to play and they used to dress a certain way. They still sell Nike shocks in Brazil because they still rock them hard. And I think Beckham was one of the icons for that, right? You know, really pushing it in a lot of different ways. People always constantly critiquing what he's wearing, what this, what designer, right? And a lot of it was always high-end fashion. And that's still, when I was in playing overseas, that's still king for a lot of it. You know, guys making sure you have your, Six, seven, eight hundred dollar YSL, Louboutin, LV stuff like that's still viewed as like the kind of the standard in terms of soccer. But you're seeing definitely a switch. Um, and I think the PSG, um, the PSG Jordan collab really, um, you know, started kickstarting that a bit. Right. To just kind of say, like, you know, you can also have style, but have it be more like streetwear style as opposed to you know, spending $400 on a cardigan from Gucci, right. Or something like that, you know, that's always going to be there, but now you're seeing this crossover and now it's cool to have a pair of off-white shoes as opposed to again, having a $400 pair of Prada shoes. But that, I think that that side of things will always be there. It's just interesting to kind of see it. And now, especially in the States with, you see a lot of big time players embracing soccer. You see Luca doing it, Joel Embiid juggling the ball, uh, you got uh, Giannis doing it right. And that crossover is, is kind of started. And, and I think that the Neymar had a Jordan, another Jordan collab. Right. And that was very influential in terms of just kind of setting up that market. And it's one of these things where now it's huge. And now walk-ins in MLS is a thing. And the immediate shot is what's on, what's on foot, whether it's a pair of Jordan ones, whether you want to go, whatever it might be um, check out the Portland one. Portland usually has the best footwear. I would say, of people within the league. And I think Nike helps with that. Right. Don't get me wrong. But um, now the walk-ins is definitely a thing. And you see players all the time posting what their, what their, what their fit looks like. And that's really cool. And I think that stemmed kind of from, you know, the NBA a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, I've been following the Timbers for a while because of our mutual friend, Kevin. And I started to notice, yep. that, Oh, wow. Even the, some of the staff on the sidelines has their sneaker game uh, on full display. And it, it made sense, right? It's Portland. Have you have you checked out recently? The one is Greg Berhalter for the full men's national team. He's constantly wearing heat. He wore Travis Scott sixes for the uh, Nations League final game. The previous game they played in um, 
they played abroad. He had the mocha ones and you keep going. And there's one other coach in, in Philly, the Jim Curtin, who's worn like Yeezys on sidelines. He's worn like low top, like dunks. Like there's two coaches that are now knowing it's a thing. And Greg always, every national game, you, it's a, it's becoming a thing. And it's fantastic. Cause you see him and he's got like his khakis on, he's got a, you know, his quarter zip and he looks professional. Then he's got some flames on there and he's kicking a ball running around and stuff. So it's definitely, if, you know, if you have coaches doing it, then there's definitely some movement within, uh, within MLS and just kind of within, you know, us soccer. Yeah. Well, you don't have to ask now who are the biggest uh, sneakerheads in the MLS. Um, uh, myself is definitely up there. Um, one of my buddies, Eric Williamson in, uh, in Portland, he's, he's, got a very solid collection. I know Kellen Acosta in Colorado has a solid collection. Um, there are, there's, this, there's some of these guys that, you know, the, the big time DPs that have deep pockets that they can not worry about it. Larice Mabiala, who my teammate in Portland got all the easy twos. He's got all, he has every like 350, I think under the sun, he has, you know, the whole like rainbow thing. I bet you he's got all that. Um, so there's definitely, I'm probably forgetting guys. Sorry to everyone. I, I forget. I'm going to get crushed in the group chat after this, but um, it's just interesting to kind of just see how that's, you know, becoming a little thing. And like, I think the the fun part about it is each, each player is, is feeling different shoes. Right. And you also don't want to, you know what I mean? You don't want to have the same, you don't wear the same shoes as somebody on the same day. So then it kind of pushes you to maybe go outside the box a little bit, which is always really fun. Great. Yeah, no. And earlier you touched on, on the growth of kind of, soccer and streetwear fashion and sneakers we just launched a series called kicking it where two people from our team luis torres and juan hernandez are doing a deep dive into kind of the influence uh, and the crossover of fashion and soccer mm-hmm. throughout time as you look back um either mls or internationally was there was like was there a kit or or, or a boot that just had you mesmerized as a, as, a, as a young kid saying like wow that's that's that style, right? It's a uniform, but the, that that's that's an impressive style. Yeah, I think again, it goes back to that singular the vapor. I wish I had a picture of it. It's just a, a metallic silver boot yeah. with a, with a neon swoosh, and it was so simple, but it it really had never been worn before because it was always black or white, and you're black if if you're a defender, you wore black cleats. That's mm-hmm. it, and and then if you were if you wore white cleats, you better be a baller. So then when Nike basically came out for the 2002 World Cup and like had a silver boot, it was like, whoa. And it was obviously it wasn't leather. It was um, probably some polyurethane or something like that. Right. So it just completely went out there and, got, and, every, and everyone was mesmerized. Obviously, Ronaldo was the best player in the world at the time. Won, you know, he won the best player in, in the World Cup, all these different things, scored goals in the final. And, you know, had his iconic haircut with a really awful haircut. It looks like a half moon at the front. Um, but that was definitely one of them, along with the total 90, the total 90 boot that Wayne Rooney used to wear um, white on the outside with red in the middle. And just thinking when they started really a- adapting to colors, it started kind of it, it immediately caught everyone's eye because it used to be white and black. And now, for example, everyone always goes like, why are why is color this? Why is it a volt? And I actually spoke to some people at Nike and the reason is they want to be able to have someone sit in the top row and look down and see exactly what shoe Marco's wearing. If he's wearing a black shoe, they have no idea. But if you score a hat trick and you're wearing this color shoe, Nike wears this shoe. So they will know you're wearing a vapor. And basically eventually that kind of switched the strategy about 
being low key and being comfortable to now as a defender, I get sent pink boots and I have, and you know, you're contractually obligated to wear them. That's great. I'll adapt a little bit, but um, it's just interesting. The concept and the thought process has changed. Now they want people to know exactly what you're wearing any given moment when I'm hopefully scoring a goal. Doesn't happen much, but if I never got there, people would probably know. Yeah, I think the vault goes back to the 2012 Olympics when they introduced that on some of the track stars. And then at the podium, everybody was wearing the, the finets, the vaults, yeah. and kind of just took off from there. I think Nike explained it back then the same, right? It was it was about being seen and it just looks fast, I think, too. Of course. Uh, it, it's interesting you say that about the flashiness of shoes and how that's really changed. The same can probably be applied to like the NBA with the new rules changed. Yep. Um, but in, in, in the past, growing up, if you showed up with the flashy boots with the flashy kicks on, you you better be nice, right? You can't you better be a baller. Yeah. You better be a baller. That was the rule. Rule number one. Or is it now just so loose because you're getting all these different colors that you kind of get a pass for it? Or do you still like, uh, I don't know, like I better bring my A game if I'm bringing these out today. For sure. Like I said, I'm wearing these pink ones right now, yeah. right? I And I, as a defender, and my jersey's orange, so it's not as bad, but in Portland, yeah. when I had green and I wore something like this, <laughs> I kept thinking in my head, my God, I got to be good. Yeah. I can't, I can't mess up or you can't be bad if you're wearing boots like that. I think it's a little bit um, more expected now just because everybody gets sent them, but yeah. still for, for the time being, there's a lot of different, there are certain colorways throughout the world. The, you know, the phantoms blue and everybody has blue, but now they're switching the colorway because they're at the Euro and the new, new things are starting to come out. But if you go outside the box and wear, for example, now the cool thing, it's interesting. The cool thing is to wear a retro boot. So Adidas, Retro the Predator, which was another one of those massive, massive boots that Beckham wore that was born in 2000, early 2000s. And with the strap, the big tongue, that was one of those things that really changed the game in terms of just Adidas boots breaking away from the Copa, but having a boot that was still meaningful. And for example, my forward wears those co- like wears those Predators. And it's like completely against the grain, but he's banged in four goals in eight games, which is a very good statistic. So no problem, all the power to you. Yeah. But um, if I were to wear something like that and I were to go out and have a stinker, then people would be like, you need to take the shoes off. <laughs> That's so funny how that, how that, that rule kind of applies to all sports, right? Like you better have, you better bring that the game to match your kicks or, or, or be a little more humble about it next time. That's like, listen, if you want to wear red Octobers to play like PJ did, you can't go yeah. out there and have four fouls, two rebounds and two points, right? You kind of just look a little bit ridiculous, yeah. but, yeah. um, it's been cool to kind of see players, resurrect some older boots or i mean sorry resurrect some older like you know kobe shoes right we we talk about kobe's a lot um so it's been cool to kind of see people pull those out whenever i see anyone wearing the pink ones oh man you you have those and it it still kills me i really don't know if those will re-release but maybe one day yeah i hope so man i mean i think there are some pro uh pe's made for a few people um, and who, who knows what will happen with, with the, the contract and all that, but I'm, I'm hoping for them too. Mine are falling apart. Uh, I, I need a second pair of those to play in uh, shifting gears to, 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 to soccer. Now Euros happening in Copa America. Are, are those things that, that you, as a fan, you're, you have enough time to pay attention to, or are you just hyper-focused on, uh, on your games and your season? No, we definitely have time to, to watch those. I was watching the French Germany game today and just to kind of see the level and just to see players. It's weird because you see, you're so used to seeing club teams. Yep. And then suddenly when it's a national team, it's really fun to watch. And especially the Euro, because there's not a runaway favorite. There's still some very good teams. Germany's very good. Portugal's very good. France is very good. Spain's very good. England's very good. Italy, you know what I mean? So there's a yep. bunch of different teams in a competition. And it's one of these situations where you get to see players 
represent their national team in front of fans again. This is really the yeah. biggest new, this is the biggest, I would say, gathering of fans that there's been in our sport since last year, right? So it's amazing to see Portugal play in front of a sold out stadium. Yep. And that's like some, something that's been missed because, you know, we play the game and we love it, but it's just not the same as the fans, even these NBA games, right? Yeah. You can totally see the momentum changing, right? Sure. Philly's played in Atlanta. And I bet you if they were playing in, in Atlanta with no fans, it'd be a completely different game than if now that there's fans and Trey Young is getting the crowd going, right? So it's a little yeah. bit different. I felt that with uh, with with my Lakers and, and the Phoenix Suns, man. Their arena was cracking in L.A. Booming. at the time. Yeah, at the time was still under maybe stricter rules. So there was yeah. a, definitely a, a home field advantage. I want to talk to you about that as an athlete. I know we all had to adjust to the pandemic and the way that we work and live. Um, what was that like as a professional athlete? Because not like you're required to be outside to train and to travel. Uh, what were the challenges um, during that? And, and is there anything that you, you kind of learned about your, about your game and, and, and that made you even stronger when it, when it came to being able to adjust? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely that tough mental aspect to, to get through two months of quarantine and trying to be a, a professional, right? It's very easy when you can't go anywhere to like stay at home and be like, well, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, watch another last dance episode or whatever it might be. Right. And you have to really kind of be diligent about your craft and enjoy it. And then for me, I, I changed up my diet a bunch. I, I started going a lot more plant-based and that was something that my wife and I did while I was, uh, or while we were in quarantine and kind of pushed that through. So now I would say, let's say there's uh, 21 meals in a week. I'd say all my breakfasts and the majority of my lunches are all plant-based and then dinners, it's about two, two or three a week. So that's definitely something that switched. And I know that a lot of players looked at their craft and try to figure out how they can get a little bit of an advantage or switch things up, whatever it might be. So for me, definitely diet was a big part of that. And then again, once you have a little bit of a trial and error with some of these different things, you're, you can implement that into your um, you know, your normal life. I lost seven pounds last year because of just how much, how hot it is in Houston and yeah. just with my diet change. And I'm still going down a little bit, which is great, but um, I feel better. I feel healthier. I feel less inflamed. And um, ultimately, like I said, I'm very lucky that I've, uh, you know, used that moment and got to spend time with my family to, to kind of move forward. That's awesome. Man. And then on the other, uh, the other, the other squad you play for the Puerto Rican national team, I saw that you just came back from a competition there. What's that been like, man, being able to, to represent uh, Puerto Rico and, and um, perform for them. Amazing. It's one of these situations as, as a athlete and a soccer player, you always dream about playing for a national team. Yeah. And I hadn't had the chance up until this point. I played youth national teams pretty much throughout my entire career, but um, to be able to go and to represent uh, the Puerto Rican people was an, was an incredible honor. And it was one of these things where I, I didn't feel as a mate, as prideful going there as I did to when I got there, if that makes sense, because it's kind of interesting because I'd played for the U S team growing up from 14s to 23s. And I, I was really used to that lifestyle. Right. And, you know, wearing the crest and then suddenly you get out there and we had a full on, uh, you know, when you're sitting there and you listen to the anthem play and then suddenly you have your teammates there singing the words like uber loud and proud, their families in the stands and we win the game and to see how proud people were to be Puerto Rican and to see the team succeed, it, it you know, it gives you goosebumps thinking about it to where you're sitting there. Yeah, that, that's what I'm looking at. I'm, watching, I'm looking at goosebumps. Um, but you just get goosebumps because, you know, you're you're representing somebody and you're playing for their pride. Right. You know, they they. The, the game was free, but typically fans will pay their money and give their time to see you hopefully go out and put a good performance in. And we were lucky enough able to do that and get uh, an 8-0 win against the Bahamas. And it's not the greatest opponent, but we were able to still 
you know, showcase a lot of the young talent. I was the old dog on the team. I was, you know, besides one guy who was 27, I was five years older than most everybody. Um, so to kind of, you know, be able to have that experience for the first time and get butterflies before a game and all these different things was really cool. Did, uh, we had to talk about the Puerto Rican flag and it has, as it relates to, to Nike shoes, did you get your hands on those 97s or did you have any other Puerto Rican uh, collabs or, or, or inspired shoes? I have two Air Force Ones. I have the white pair that didn't uh, got that release that got canceled, yeah. and yeah. then I have um, one second. My dog's freaking out. All good. No, it's a it's a uh, thunderstorm. So, um, but I have the uh, I have the red pair of Air Force Ones from two thousand and three, and then I have the ones that uh, didn't re release. Uh, I think last year, right? And hot take. I'm not a huge fan of 97s. I just, I, I respect it. And I really like the shoe. I just, whether I look down on it and the toe box is kind of like narrow, like it's just one of these things and I'm going to get a lot of slack for it, but it's okay. These are the friendly conversations and things that we like. I'm not a huge fan of 97s. No, I respect that too, man. There's a lot of shoes that I can acknowledge are good looking shoes, but it, it, it matters how it looks on you, right? And how you feel when you're wearing it. So hundred percent, when you're looking down, you have to, you have to look at something that you, you know, that you feel is comfortable. And ultimately I have a lot of crazy colored pairs of shoes and I have the confidence to rock them. But if you don't have that, then yeah. it's, then you're, then it's tough. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of, of shoes that didn't come out, you, you ended up in a lot of headlines last year when you, you showed up, um, I, I believe to a game or, or to a, a team event with the uh, MCA Air Force ones with the black outsole or the black midsole. Um, let's talk about that. Like, did you expect to have that type of reaction or did you just think, Hey, Nike blessed me. Uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm going straight to feet with these. Yeah. I mean, well, shoes are made to be worn. Yep. There's no shoe I have in my closet that I have not worn. And if it is, and if I haven't worn it, it's because it's a double and I only have two doubles right now. And it's a black cement threes and the uh, golden rods who are my two all-time favorite pairs of shoes. So I, I got to keep those clean. I know you use Royal Royal ones. Yep. Yep. So I'm sure you probably have six pairs behind you just, just in case. <laughs> Too many. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so basically here they are. There um, they are. Well, uh, like I said, not expecting it kind of showed up. I didn't expect it. Like I said, I actually thought they were fake and I was looking at my, my wife and I sent one picture to my buddy and I was, he's like, what the hell are those? And I said, I don't know. I said, I'm pretty sure these are fake shoe. And then the, the interesting part was we kind of thought about it. And you hadn't seen a shoe with this lacing over it, right? You hadn't seen that over yeah. an Air Force One before. And actually, you haven't even seen it even on the dunks yet. So then we started thinking, well, how could somebody make a fake shoe on a design that's never been done before? Unless they're just completely making it up. Yeah. And then I was just, I hadn't worn them. And I was just like, I think I wore them maybe once. And then we, the, the Paris Fashion Week thing yes, showed up and Virgil had them on and I was like holy shit <laughs> so you already had them in your possession when yes uh, yeah I had them like I said I, oh so I you had them for a while then I thought you got them around the time that you wore them no I had like I said I, I'm telling you it was it was like I they should not have showed up and maybe someone made I thought someone honestly had put a pair of like just I, I thought it was a fake pair of shoes because I didn't even know there's no invoice or anything like that and then, like I said, it was one of these things where I still wear them and they're, they're worn. Like you can see the, the, the foam around the edge, like, like a lot of the MCA yeah. shoes is worn. Yeah. Like it's ripped yeah. because I love these shoes. And I, you know, I didn't expect it to go as what it did. And ultimately <laughs> I'd rather have the shoes in any sort of spotlight. But again, 
Um, Nike's always been really cool, you know, allowing me to wear shoes and, you know, try to be a good am- ambassador to the brand in, in a lot of different ways, but definitely one of my more most prized possessions uh, that I'll never, ever, ever part ways with. Yeah. Feel free to no comment me on this, but did that come from your normal, your normal rep or your normal address or just kind of showed up and you assumed, or you weren't sure? Uh, like I said, there was, there was no invoice in it. And it, <laughs> so just kinda, it just, yeah, it was truly it just, a mystery. It popped up and and it was one of these things where I just, again, I, I, I thought it was fake. And I, like I said, I, I chucked it in my thing. And then I just kept thinking how I've never seen a fake design on a, sh- or a, sh- a, a design on a shoe that was not like real, right? Obviously you see off white Yeezys, right? Or something like yeah, that, that yeah. just look ridiculous. But I remember just looking at the, like the quality, the leather and these things. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is like a really good looking fake. <laughs> and then lo and behold, it just, like I said, it kind of blew up after that. And I don't know, Virgil hears this. I appreciate him for letting me keep the shoe. I'll wear them into the ground because that's what, what shoes are supposed to be. Shoes are supposed to be handled. Yeah. That's probably the one that made the most headlines, but have there been a few other moments that you can remember where you got a, a package from Nike, opened it up and were just like eyes lit up. I can't believe they sent me these or you were just shocked. Yeah. yeah the, the other one that was wild was um, one of my going away presents. Um, from Nike was the uh, friends and family soul fly ones, yep. the patent leather um, ones. And then the only comment that was with them was you need a little bit of orange in your life now. Cause I was going to Houston. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's a little bit of orange in the swoosh. So for me, that was one where I remember I got the box and I opened the box and I just saw that shiny patent leather. And I was like, yeah. there's literally only one shoe or well, there was two but I just knew the color way was, it was different. Cause I have these ones. I got married in these shoes. So these mm-hmm. are the, um, the gold toe, uh, like complex con, I believe. Yep. Ones. yep. And awesome. so when I opened up the box, yeah, I knew that it wasn't that shoe. And then I was like, there's literally only one shoe. And then like, you see like the stitching on the inside and I was like, holy bejeebies. And then you're just sitting there and then it's, and I was like, you, you start asking how, and it's like, you just, thank you. You're welcome. And I will be sure to wear them as I always do wear them as into the ground, crease up that patent leather as best as possible. Um, because you got to enjoy your shoes while you, while you have them, you know, that definitely. So you've made a lot of headlines because of, of, of the really hyped and limited shoes, but you also made a lot of headlines because of the, um, messages you have on, on, on your boots, particularly when you play, it seems more common now, but a few years ago, you were one of the first players that I can remember hearing about that was really, sending messages when it came to equality, social justice on your boots. Is that something that you've always done throughout your career, the messages and, and, and that, or, or was that just a, a reaction to things that were happening in our world? And you said, hey, if I can uh, you know, stand up now, I'm going to do that. Definitely more recently. And I think it's become with the, with the growth and power of social media. And I think everyone can attest to how now people are taking uh, notice what's on people's feet and what shirt you wear for a walk-in, right? One of the shirts I put was, and gun violence. Again, very specific statement because it's gun violence. Obviously people, we have a second amendment argument all you want, but like, for me, it's just stuff like that, or, you know, being very, you know, trying to be the biggest ally I can for the LGBTQ plus community and just using my platform for good. I, I, I believe that as an athlete, we're given a platform, whether we like it or not, and we have to use it for good. So thankfully I've been surrounded by a lot of cool people that have helped me um, contribute some of my you know, to some of my, my charitable things that I, I I've wanted. And some of them might've been way, you know, outlandish, but I, I still have had some amazing people surrounding me to help me try to, you know, 
raise money for people during Thanksgiving or during the powder outage, power outage or whatever it might be. And I just am very lucky that Nike's always been um, there to help me whenever I need anything like that as well. And um, it recently started because people started taking pictures of shoes, right? And suddenly you write something on it. And, um, you know, I have uh, actually all these shoes are embroidered, but for example, what you asked me for a few ones that were meaningful. I wore this shoe in the final in 2018 uh, for, for Portland and Atlanta, which was really cool. This was the first ever boot I had my wife's name embroidered on, Liz. And you could see this is the leather I'm talking about. This thing gets wet. This is a brick. This is from 2000 and what, 2014. Yeah, 2014. So that's eight years ago. And then sadly, another one was um, one of the guys who was um, the PLM for the product line manager for the this boot sadly passed away um, last year. And when I when I left, part of the, the his going away gift was he, with these boots. And basically, I promised him that I would wear them my my next game in Portland. And I did. And we didn't get a good result. But I, I you know, I wrote RIP Pickett on there. We miss you. and We love you, mate. So there's always, you know, something like that, because when you for me, when you write something on your shoe and you're playing for that purpose, especially in that day, it gives you that little bit extra that you might need to track back to make a tackle to 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 head a ball to get a clearance. And, um, you know, you see a lot of times in the NBA when it, when they're dedicating something like that. And for me, it's no different. And again, I try to use my platform for as good as possible. And um, and that's something I try to take a lot of pride in. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into my last question for you. You know, we're at a point where sneaker culture has grown bigger than it's ever been. The industry has ballooned. Pros and cons, obviously, that come along with that. And we've kind of, a lot of people have lost sight of what made this thing special to begin with. And that's the people, that's the moments, that's the memories, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. the shoes. And, you know, at Soul Savvy, that's kind of our goal is to restore the, the people part of, of sneaker culture instead of mm-hmm. how much are those worth or how rare are those? So my question for you is, is, you know, how do you define what sneaker culture truly means to you? Like, what is it that makes this community special to you? Yeah, I, I joined Soul Savvy earlier this year. We spoke about it. And, and I, you know, obviously, you know, put in and, you know, thankfully I was accepted. And it's been one of these things where I think the discussion posts are always my favorites because you see people passionate about something they love and they love it because it's just ingrained in them. And that for me, that's the best part about it because there's never, I've never seen anything once. I've never seen a post in, in the Slack about what something might be worth. Yeah. Because the worth is defined by your enjoyment of it and your love for it. For example, you asked me to bring a free pairs of shoes. This is the golden rod from 99. Yeah. These re-released, they're sitting under $200 and it's my favorite shoe. Yeah. And I have another pair. I might buy another one. And that's amazing. Right. And I like it because of the colorways. I'm a huge Wu-Tang fan. So for me, my yeah. grail is the Wu-Tang Gunk. I might even just spray paint a little Wu-Tang <laughs> symbol because I yeah. can't have it. So for me, like, I, you know, it's hard to describe why I love this shoot. It's the colorway. It's the fact that it reminds me of like growing up with music and, and everything like that. And you can't put a value on that. Even if the shoe is 500 bucks, I'd buy it. But if it's sitting there for un- almost retail, it's amazing. Another one of my favorite pairs of shoes is the Bacons that re-released. I have the OG ones and they literally fell apart. I was walking to the post office and this went wop and it cracked. And like, I was devastated. And then they, they were supposed to re-release and they stopped. So the fact that they did, and these, I, I kid you not, I'm going to buy a pair right now. They were $140. It's a great shoe too, that man. Is- I, I, holding it in hand, it just feels like the quality is great. It's just a wearable shoe. Great history. Quality, colorway, history, all these different things. 
And you know what? It does, it's not a collaboration. Actually, it kind of is with Dave, but but I'm saying like it's not like a whatever collaboration. And and for me, you have to like what you like. And that's why we had a conversation once about Jordan One Mint. And people were like, someone's like, are they cool or are they not? And my point was, if you, if you think they're cool, then they're cool. You don't have to, you don't have to necessarily ask someone else's opinion about a shoe. Like, and that's what's that's what's been the most fun about it. So for me, the community is just enjoying what you like and then having others embrace the 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 culture and the diversity within that right some people like air force ones some people like dunks some people like air max 270s it doesn't matter but like what you like and then it's just cool to kind of see people get pumped up over something that you might not get pumped up about that's what gets me all giddy when it's like volt wednesdays is that what i saw on yeah the volt tuesday campaign that volt that, tuesday that like that's so yeah. cool because guess what volt tuesday that shoe wasn't crazy whatever yeah. but to 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 our community that that's something meaningful and like it made me want to get a pair yeah. just because of that reason right and that's that's what it's all about it's not about price tags or making money or making a profit it's about going out there and sharing your love for something and embracing the fact that they might like something you don't yeah, man. I mean, I couldn't have said that better myself. And I appreciate you being a part of our community and, and taking some time with us tonight. So thanks for joining us, Eric. And we're wishing you the best uh, the rest of the season. We'll be we'll be rooting for you too. Team Soul Savvy will be uh, in your corner. And yeah, thanks for sharing these stories with us, man. This is great. I love to hear people's, how people define sneaker culture because it changes with everybody. But when you talk to the people who who are really kind of passionate about this, it's mm-hmm. always comes back to how you feel, how shoes make you feel and, and the people that, that surround you. Yeah. Um, and those, so thank you for sharing that. No, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And it's been something where it's exciting to see the team that you guys are building and how members are coming in and, you know, you're highlighting different aspects of things. There's a, there's a, you know, a woman's like collective. I don't even know exactly what, what it is, but just like, that's super cool because again, I think that things are getting a little bit lost because, you know, and I'm never, I'm not going to hate on someone for making money over a pair of shoes because you got to do what you got to do. I understand that some people that they take that very seriously. And a lot of people that help foster the culture from the start that we're resellers. So you can't even necessarily crush that, but it, it's fun to see people get back to kind of like that giddy childhood, you know, about, you know, that, get that like emotion. That's what's super cool about it because you see people get like, excited about a shoe, but not like, oh my goodness, like this is coming out. Like I cannot wait to wear this shoe. I cannot wait to beat it. I want to scuff it. I want to, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the best part about it. So for me, um, it's been great to see what you guys are doing and I'm, and I'm honored to be a member and I'm excited to see where it keeps rolling with you and and a few of the crew members. But I will say that for anyone on the, um, you know, for, for anyone that follows, you know, if you're ever in any of the cities where we're playing now, feel free to reach out and hopefully we can maybe arrange some tickets to a game or, for yourself or anyone that I've, I've made a lot of friends. I made a few friends actually just through the, the Slack and through just having conversations about what we're looking for. So if anyone ever wants to come out, like, uh, and if you can prove you're a soul savvy member, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. <laughs> that, that's a heck of an offer, man. We appreciate that. Thank you again, Zarek. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon.